0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management. Welcome to Raising the Bar with your host, Amy Bredo. Do you ever listen to that inner voice? The one that tells you that you can achieve great things just by giving yourself a little push? Making that voice heard is what this show is all about. What if you could turn your negatives into positives? You'll hear from others who have embraced that personal drive and will help you raise the bar. Now, here is Amy Bredo.
1: Happy Thursday, everybody. You're listening to Raising the Bar with me, Amy Bredo, and my guest today is Siloan Green. I'm so excited for you all to hear all the amazing things that he has to say He's a Midwestern Indiana man, which I love close to my heart. And he's married with eight children. Can't wait to hear that story, and just has so much to share about um, positive thinking, navigating through PTSD, and basically navigating through life because we all get broken. So, Siloan, I hope that introduction served you well. I can't wait to hear everything you have to say. Uh, welcome, and you know, how are you doing today?
2: I'm good, and that introduction was awesome. That is a perfect platform for what I want to talk about. <laughs>
1: I love that. I appreciate your time and I'm so happy you're here to share. So I'd love if you just dive right in
2: yeah well i'm i'm a uh, I'm doing good. I was just in West Virginia where you got a hold of me to do the talk, and I am very excited um to have this platform you know it was interesting. When I'm speaking, I travel a lot. I always sort of like using anecdotes maybe from people I've just met. And when I was there in West Virginia, I was speaking to this uh, young woman. Her and her husband had just moved to West Virginia from Portland, Oregon. He's a dentist. She's a facial reconstructive surgeon. But her passion is more than anything helping young people who have gotten involved with drug abuse. And oh, wow. we were talking. Yeah, we, we were talking and, 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 and she had heard my talk, which really didn't have much to do with drug abuse, per se. It was more my own story and PTSD. And she was saying how all these young people she sees now, people she doesn't think society at large understands sort of how purposeless they are. You know, that, that we kind of live in a world now where families are broken apart and nobody, you know, these young kids don't go to church. They don't find importance in any faith. And they're rudderless, and and they find direction in drugs. You know, they find direction in sex. And and, and she equated it to they're almost living like animals. And I I couldn't help but relate to it because – You know, you hear that, and and you think about some, you know, young poor kids in West Virginia, and you wonder, well, how do I relate to it? But I see it all the time in what I do, because I don't care who you are. You know, you could be a a, a wealthy suburban housewife in Chicago, near where you are. You could be in Portland, but when you get broken in life, which is really what I think post-traumatic stress disorder is, which is why I started talking about it, it can kind of leave you rudderless. And then if you don't have a firm foundation, if you don't have a purpose, it can be really easy to fall into things that you shouldn't, whether it's drugs or sex or validation in, in, in the improper sort of ways. So it was really interesting seeing her and talking to her right before you called and then now sort of have an opportunity to tell her story and other people's stories. So thanks, thanks a lot for this.
1: Oh, my gosh, you are you are a blessing. I feel like stumbling upon you um, really is a gift. You know, it's interesting you say that, a, a suburban housewife in Chicago, which I am, I wear many hats, but, you know, even in my own experience of um, childhood trauma and foster care and that, and I actually have a son that was adopted at age 11 out of an orphanage that he'd been living in for seven years, you know, amongst my birth children or biological children as well. You're right. We all are broken at, at one point in our lives. And it's, it's interesting how as a society, um, it's either ignored or it's numbed by substance abuse or improper action. But then I feel like there is this great movement of, of people like you that are trying to make a difference for people that are living in brokenness. So uh,
2: it's awesome. Yep. How
1: our lives are woven together.
2: Yeah, well, you know, just at that conference, you know, this was a conference. It was the West Virginia Trauma Symposium and it's primarily, and it's primarily for doctors and nurses who work in hospitals. 90% of the talks were just, okay, you know, somebody comes in and they have a head wound. What's the latest procedure to treat the head wound? So the last thing they were expecting is a guy in there talking about life and PTSD. And, and it just so happens that, you know, now in their state, they need to have two hours of training on PTSD. So they had me come talk. Well, so I'm in this room of complete strangers. There's 150, 160 people. We, I have enough time that I'm sort of able to go uh, through part of my program called the Ladder Up, which is something I use to help people kind of sift through the baggage they have in life and then come out of it. With really defining what's my purpose, what are some goal, goals that I can set to make that purpose happen, and then finally, you know, who are some people around me I can find to hold me accountable. So we're kind of going through the short version of that, and some people in that room really laid down some heavy things that they had been burdened with. I mean, one man talking about, you know, how a year before he thought about suicide, another man talking about how for 10 years he'd been carrying the burden of these two children dying. And you could see everybody in the room just being moved by it and being brought in. And then at one point I, I looked around the room and I said, Hey, I'm not going to pick on you and, and, and have you tell me what it is, but how many of you in this room feel like you're carrying a burden and like 80% of the hands shot up. And and then I looked at them and I said, all right, now, how many of you have a healthy way to deal with that burden, to talk about it, to share it. And like almost nobody's hands went up and, and I just think that's the way that, that that our society is. And, you know, there's a good chance, me and you, as we talk, there's going to be somebody listening who's got their own burden. And maybe this is the first time they've heard someone talk about it like this, and it can remind them, you know, they're not alone, that there's hope. And, you know, one of the phrases that I like to use, I um, mean, it seems like it fits with kind of you know, what, what motivates you is that, you know, when you've been broken in life, you can you, you can use those pieces in two ways. One, you can just let them be something you dwell on and look backwards and you just kind of keep getting sucked down the rabbit hole of life. Or you can use those pieces as fuel to live, you know, right. as, as fuel to motivate you to reach out to other people and to do other things. And, and I think when people hear that and they realize they're not alone, you, you usually have a pretty good opportunity for some kind of call to action, you know, act upon it. This is what you do. I think
1: you're absolutely right. And I feel like when you are with your ladder up program and your speaking engagement, well, you're giving people the tools and the steps necessary to, to move one foot forward in front of the other to climb out. And right. I think that that's, you know, that's so, it seems simple. Like, Oh, I just need to file, you know, follow steps one, two, three. But if they don't even know where to find those instructions right. or, or to pick up those tools. I mean, it's, you know, you're sitting, just, you're just sitting and, and waiting.
2: Well, I, And I think part of the problem is, and, and, and I'm not saying this in a negative way because there, there's lots of good information there, but the, the problem with our the sort of self-help culture, right? You can't, you can't do it alone. Like you, you, you've got to have a community of people, you know, you, you know how it is, whether it's like exercise or whatever, You can only go so far on your own. I mean, you can get started, but ultimately to, to, to be your best, you got to have people that hold you accountable. You know, you got to, you got to have a way to measure your your, your 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 progress, and it's so easy today for people to start something and then be alone, and then you have no one to hold you accountable to it. It don't matter if it's mental health. It doesn't matter if it's starting a business. If it doesn't matter if you know you know you've been a bad mom and you want to be a good mom. I mean, who's gonna hold you accountable to that? You know, you've you've been right. a bad husband. You want to be a good husband. Who's going to hold you accountable to that? But, you know, where I start with my talks is is usually with myself, because I was broken in a lot of ways. And, you know, I was in the Marine Corps and I was in this jet crash. It was just a training accident. And it can be easy to focus on that. But really what broke me wasn't just that jet crash. It was a lot of things in life. You know, it went back to when I was a little kid and we were poor and Mm -hmm. moved a lot, and I was bullied, and I was picked on, and the way that I chose to deal with that was to, in a sense, kind of be a bully. I mean, I wasn't a bully, but I I thought what was important was to be tough, and to be strong, and to fight back, and I think in a lot of ways, that's what led me to want to be a Marine, and then in the Marine Corps, they really teach you to be tough. You know, it's all about being tough. It don't matter if you're going to be a pilot or you're going to be a grunt or you're going to be a truck driver, it doesn't matter. You got to be tough. And, you know, I did a few things that, that made me feel like I was tough at at Quantico at the officer school. I won the physical fitness award. And then I went to flight school and, you know, in basic flight school in the Marines, you know, how you graduate determines whether you're going to fly helicopters or um, uh, transport planes or jets. And I wanted to be the guy flying jets. So I, graduated first in my class and I got to go fly and I thought I was pretty tough. And I, and I didn't realize that, you know, you realize this as you get older, that life can break you no matter how tough you are, no matter how prepared you are, no matter how in shape you are. And, you know, I probably have the least illustrious military career of any, any veteran I talked to, cause I just got hurt in a training accident. But when I did that, um, I broke my back. I got nerve damage. I got a bunch of issues, um my my initial way I dealt with it was just sucking it up you know we tend to do that in life you know we tend to put things in a box and just keep them there and hope and hope they're going to go away and it can be something that happens to us when we're a kid or when we're older and that's what I did but eventually it, it didn't work and because of all these complications they ended up sending me to this hospital in San Antonio Texas Wilford Hall I think now it's a um, office building, but at the time, it, they specialized in flight injuries, and that's really where I kind of went crazy, because I was away from Marines, I was by myself, I, 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 I felt broken, I felt like, you know, they're not going to let me be uh, a Marine anymore, my my physical injuries didn't seem to be getting better, I, I had a flight surgeon who thought he was doing me a favor for my pain, and he gave me open scripts to uh, Vicodin, Zoloft, and Percocet, which uh. Yeah, which, you know, and, and anyone out there, you know, the da- most dangerous thing about prescription drugs and drugs in general is they're good. I mean, when you right. first take them, they're awesome. I mean, you're, you're, until they're not awesome. <laughs> and then when they're not <laughs> awesome, you, you you don't know how to get off of them. Um, right. But, of course, how did taking those drugs make me feel? It made me feel like a complete loser, which made me isolate and get in more pain. And, you know, it just got worse and worse and worse to the point when I I knew they were going to disability discharge me from the Marine Corps because my label had been big, bad, tough Marine. And now my label was broken, pathetic Marine. And I felt like my life was over. I just wanted to die. And I started sleeping with a gun, getting in fights. I mean, it's just a miracle that, that that I'm alive, really.
1: It is a miracle. I you know when I was reading a lot of um, your website when you talked about sleeping with a gun and how you had it pressed so closely that you would wake up with a scab yeah. to your pillow in the morning. I just thought um, it hurt my heart. It hurt my heart for you as an individual, but it hurt my heart in general, too, because I know that there's so many people that do that. Or think about doing that. Um, oh, yeah. And I know that in my own experience with family members that have been on prescription drugs and antidepressants, you know, antidepressants, like you said, they're great until they're bad, or they're great until yeah. they don't work anymore, and that can just lead to brokenness even further or in new ways. So, it's, so what was it, you know, when you knew that you were going to be discharged, you know, what were you thinking from there? You know, you're
2: sleeping with a gun every night. What well, was it... it that just made you it, go it was dark and um the, the only reason i didn't kill myself is because the last person whom i thought could understand helped me see that who i was wasn't that label you know i think more than anything in life we kind of become labels right I, uh, there's this great clip of david uh, uh, not david gilmore of um Roger Waters of Pink Floyd. He was talking about, and he was talking about when he was writing the wall, and and he said a lot of it was based upon. He was like sixteen, and his whole life, you you know, everyone tells you you're going to live and you're going to be who you are when this happens. And he realized I don't need anyone's permission to live. I can live right now. And I think a lot of times in life we become labels. I'm a student, I'm this, I'm that. And and we lose track of who we are. And if you don't have a real firm identity of who you are, you're not living. And and my label was I was this Marine and I was supposed to be a certain way. And when I wasn't that way, there was something wrong with me and I didn't have worth. And and the person that helped me see it was this psychiatrist um at Wilford Hall. And and I and I remember we were talking and I was just panicked because I was like, you know. I look like a Marine. I'm getting paid like a Marine, but when my disability discharge comes through and I go home and I, I get some job that I hate. Life's just going to suck. And I know I'm going to pull this trigger. Well, we were talking and, 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 and she brought up something that seemed silly at the time, but it resonated because we all can remember this little child. She said, she, she reminded me of, of me telling her about when I was eight and I grew up and I, I wrote in a diary and I, I'd write poetry and different things. And, um, and, and she said, what would that little boy say? And even though it was kind of silly, I remembered that little boy. Because that little boy was the little boy before he, he felt like he couldn't dream anymore. That was a little boy who could dream. It felt like he could do anything. Right. And I, remember, and I remembered that. And, and what had happened is, is, you know, one night when I was eight, my, my parents had, had some babysitters over. And they were out. And, and I'd get my diary out to write in it. And they'd start making fun of me. And it probably wasn't as bad mm-hmm. as I remembered. But I started crying. And I put my diary away. And I never wrote it in again. And I realized in some ways I would kind of lost that boy. And in a lot of ways, I've been living my life meeting other people's expectations of what was tough or what was good. And so a couple nights later, you know, one of my triggers for PTSD was, was weather. And, okay. and I, I'm i in this coffee shop. And, I'm, and, 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 and as happens when you have these problems, you tend to do things that make them worse. So I can't sleep and I have insomnia. And so what am I doing? I'm high smoking and drinking in a coffee shop at two in the morning. Don't sorry for myself. And all of a sudden it started getting hot and humid. Like when my accident happened and I can remember thinking to myself, okay, I, I can either go crazy or I can, I can do something about it. And I'm like, what do I do about it? And I think, no, like, well,
1: what, what, you know, what about, no, go ahead. we're going to have to just take a pause for a moment, go for a sure. quick break. And the reason I stopped you there again, I apologize for interrupting you is because I love that question. I can stain it or what do I do about it? You're listening to Raising the Bar. Our special guest today is Silon Green and we will be right back.
3: Have you considered expanding your family through adoption, but don't know where to start? Are you looking to get some answers and direction on how and where to start? Reach out to the community at the Echo Foundation. The Echo Foundation offers five distinct areas of support for those children in need throughout the world. We are here to support you and guide you through your process and beyond. For more information, please visit amybrado.com and click on the Echo Foundation. That's amybredo.com and click the Echo Foundation.
0: When you see someone, are you seeing the person or the perception?
3: There are over 147 million orphans and at-risk children in the world. It's a global problem, but you can make a huge difference. You can help from home or on-the-ground serving opportunities. Please visit amybrado.com and click on the Echo Foundation tab to request more information. Our vision is to build a self-sustaining ecosystem of ideas, individuals, and organizations equipped to carry out the mission of hope for every orphan in the world. Help us with our goal of helping every child in need. Visit amybredo.com.
0: You're listening to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or questions about the show. The email address is amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. That's amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: And welcome back. You are listening to Raising the Bar with me, Amy Bredo, and our great guest today, Silwan Green. And so, Alana, I apologize that I had to um, cut you a little bit short there, the first segment, but I would love to just uh, jump right back in and how you were at that pivotal moment of either staying stuck where you were or moving forward.
2: So if you want to go yeah. ahead
1: and attack it, I would love to hear what you have to say.
2: Yeah, and so, um, you know, because I was, I was kind of fulfilling the label. You know, and I think that's what happens with people. I do a lot of work with drug addicts, and a lot of times they get told they're worthless and they get told they got no future you know, you start to believe it. And and what I believed, I was just this broken Marine. So as I was saying earlier, you know, my, 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 my psychiatrist I was talking to sort of helped me see that I didn't have to be a label. And the way she did that was, I, I, I remembered back to when I was this little boy that liked to write and be creative. And I was at this critical moment where I was scared of getting discharged and what was going to happen to me. And she asked me, well, what would he do? And then I'm in this coffee shop in the middle of the night and I'm hallucinating. And, and, and I realized I had a choice. It's like I can either let this hallucination do what it usually does, which is trigger something, you know, which could be me being violent or me putting a gun in my head or me taking more pills. Or I go, you know, I could do something with it. And I think, well, what would that little boy do? Well, that little boy would write something so I asked the waitress for like a pen or a pencil and I grab a napkin and I hope I can remember it. I don't have it in front of me, but I wrote this poem just as, as quickly as I'm going to say it like a storm to crack the mortar, the stone, the ancient clay, the walls I'd build to shield myself from rains. I feared to face took a storm, to clear the rubble, the remnants of my home to find the lost foundation toward before I dwelt alone and the waters flow. So today I think I'll swim. And what that meant to me was, you know, I had a choice. I could either keep looking back on my life and everything that had been taken from me and that I lost and use it as an excuse to just be miserable. Or I could realize if life was so bad, I was sleeping with a gun in my head. What did I have to lose to live? Nothing. and what I say at my talks a lot is the most dangerous place to be is when you're just muddling through life, you know, when, when you don't really like what you do and you don't really like who you're sleeping with and you don't really like where you go to church and you don't do anything about it. Cause you know, often the fear that we know is not as scary as the fear of the unknown and we just don't do anything. And in a weird way, I felt like it was a gift to be broken because I had nothing to lose. And, and so what it motivated me to do, one thing I'd always wanted to do was play the guitar. So a couple of days later, I went out and bought a guitar and I started playing it. And, you know, my kids would say I still have work to do, but I like doing it <laughs> and I still and, and I still do it. And then another thing I'd always want to do is get a motorcycle. So I sold my car and I used the money to go buy a motorcycle. So while I was waiting on my disability discharge, even though I, I still had nights, I, I, I put a gun to my head and I still was on the pills and I, and I still feared whether I would make it. I had those moments where I was moving forward, where I had purpose, where I had a reason to get up. And and then really, you know, the, the pivot point for me was the day I got disability discharged. I had sold most of my stuff. I mailed some stuff back to my parents and I took off on my motorcycle and I didn't know it, but that was the day that my, I saved my life because, you know, I took off on a motorcycle. I ended up being gone about 23 months, rode about 30,000 miles all over the United States. Never use pills again, never put a gun to my head. I didn't think that was going to be the cause you know i i it's just each day went by, and I lived and I moved forward and and all that hell got further and further behind and I don't necessarily recommend to your listeners they take a two year motorcycle trip, although it would not be a bad idea, no matter how old you are. My um, first
1: question is did you know how to ride a motorcycle
2: yeah exact
1: exactly,
2: exactly. <laughs> but so. but but uh the uh but what it represents to me is not really a motorcycle trip. It's overcoming fear. You know, yeah. if you're listening right now and you haven't made a change in your life, it's because you're scared. End of story. Right. Now, you might use other excuses, but at the end of the day, when it comes time to, like, make a change, the reason that you don't make that change is because you're, you're scared of something. And, and, and what I found is, is that when you overcome that fear, very quickly you meet other people whose journeys are trying to do the same thing, and they are the ones that, that, that bring you along. And everything I do today, um, I couldn't have imagined that, you know, from, from my family, my wife, what I get to do for a living. None of that, you know, was, was – well, if you look through the windshield, it seemed like it was ahead of me. But it only happened because I overcame my fear. I moved forward. And, you know, those, and it's not easy. It's not just a motivational talk. And then you wake up tomorrow and you start moving forward. There, you know, there's steps, there's things that you can do to help make it happen. But that is my focus is helping people see that there there is a future and there is a place of hope that they can step towards. And that every day they do that is is one day that they're leaving that hell behind. And then eventually you wake up one day and you realize you're living life. and And that's what it's about. It's just, it's just living. It's not the right therapy. It's not the right book. It ain't the right pill. It's not the right gym. It's just it's just getting up every day and, and being motivated and having a purpose and living your life.
1: I love that. And there's such healing in, in living. You know, and clearly you're not a fearful man. For goodness sakes, you've got eight kids. So if you are fearful, you would have <laughs> well, stopped wife, at one. My wife is the one without <laughs> you fear know? With so eight anybody that can do that, I'm pretty sure it can do anything. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I love that, just waking up, putting one foot in front of the other, you know going for a ride and, and just and just going, um, you know, it mends that brokenness. Somebody put it in a great perspective for me in things that I have been through. They said, you know, it's like having a beautiful vase that falls on the floor and it cracks, but you're able to glue the pieces back together. And although you can see the glue lines or you can even turn that cracked piece toward the wall, you know that vase is cracked, but you're still able to use it and load it with, you know, beautiful flowers or beautiful things and still enjoy
2: it just the same.
1: And right. I can't, or you could I can't take remember the
2: pieces that. And, or you could take the pieces and turn it into something else then make a
1: mosaic you can all <laughs> you crack you know, it all I, up and start over
2: yeah you know cuz i took the pieces of that marine and you know musician and the speaker and you know things that in a lot of ways have nothing to do with being in the military it's just right. whatever the pieces whatever the pieces that you have there is a way to use those to to live with purpose in what you're doing it's just you got to Take the steps to kind of make it happen, or as I like to say, you know, you go up the ladder. That's what the ladder up is. It's like, how do you go from being broken to having a life that that that, that matters to you?
1: Right. How did you How did you develop that? I mean, what was it? Was it in your thinking and your journey? Were you taking notes while you were going through your travels and thinking about how you would like to share with others and be there for others to help encourage and empower them
2: to heal? Well, what happened was i i I was doing good i was um i had met i met my wife on the motorcycle trip and she actually came with me for three months of it i met her yeah, she you her to do that <laughs> yeah she she was down at school at Indiana University and I drove through there on my bike to see an old friend's little sister i I met a friend of hers at a party at the party um it was raining so instead of having my motorcycle because I was in Indiana where I'm from I had my mom's car and I I remember that one place I'd always wanted to go when I was in college was Graceland in Memphis where Elvis house was. And I had never been, and I went to school at Vanderbilt university. So I asked all these college kids who wants to go. And the only one that wanted to go was this girl I had met earlier. So we get in the car, drive all night. It was a crazy experience. Like when we got to the parking lot, the only people in the parking lot were us and a bus full of Japanese tourists dressed like (laughs) Elvis. (laughs) And that was our first date. And then a couple weeks later, one place I'd always wanted to go on my bike was the Upper West, like the Badlands and Mount Rushmore and Yellowstone. And I needed to get there before winter set in. And so there was a break in the rain, and I, and I take off on my bike, and I go through Bloomington, and I see this girl you know, who I, we had just been on that kind of epic road trip. And I told her what I was doing, and, and she said, uh, well, that's funny. You know, I was going to take the semester off and go to Colorado. And I said, well, you should come with me. We'll have more fun. And she said, okay, so, yeah, so, so so we got on that motorcycle and together we went about three and a half months, about 8,000 miles. I had an enduro bike on road, off road, so we could camp and sleep and just amazing things. And that was about 18 years ago. And now we've been married 17 years and have eight kids. They're all ours. The oldest she homeschools them she my my wow. wife is the one that you should be interviewing, but she homeschools them uh, the oldest is sixteen, the youngest is like a year and eight months or so um but anyway, so I, you know all that happened you know my life got amazing after I was broke it- did, you know it got amazing, it didn't get worse and and especially with the war going on after nine eleven i I wanted to share well everywhere I went with the military, they were not interested in someone helping them, and I got really frustrated. I was here in Indiana where you know, there's no big military bases, and then really, what what led to all this is as I, I I had someone say to me, we well, you, you know lots of people get broke, and this guy volunteered in a prison, and he said you should go talk to these prisoners, and I was like, well, what do I have in common with these prisoners? They're gonna they're gonna think I'm a joke. I've never been arrested, and they're like, no, trust me, just go in. So I went first time I ever sang in public, first time I ever spoke in public, anything was in this maximum security prison. And there were like 200 guys, all of them felons. And I'm just nervous and thinking, oh, they don't want to hear from me. But I got done, and when I was finished, probably half of them came up to me. And they were just like, can you please come back? Can you keep talking to us? And, and as I did that, after a while, I got tired of telling stories, and I realized you know, I wanted to give them some tools. Because a lot of them, the reason they were in my class is because they were within sight of getting out of prison, and they were all scared of life. You know, prison okay. doesn't teach them. Prison doesn't teach somebody how to live when they get out. It doesn't. It just houses them like animals. And and so I I said I want to try to teach them what I did to learn to live again. And that's really when the ladder up came came about. It was what were the steps that I took. And then I had some really good mentors. I had a professor of Vanderbilt, who was not only the director of psychiatry, but he was also the director of religious studies. So he understood from my perspective, how important faith is in healing. And then I had some other mentors and they just kind of made sure I didn't do anything crazy, but that's really where the ladder <laughs> up came from. Right. And, and it was that, and and I realized in that prison more than anywhere is that we're all the same. You, you know, when you're broke and you've got a gun to your head, there's no use comparing pain. I mean, there's no use going – I mean, a lot of times people don't get help. I find this with police officers I work with. They'll go, you know, I didn't go through what that vet went through, or I didn't go through what that other person went through, so maybe I just need to suck it up because my pain isn't so bad. Well, you don't know. Right. You know, we, we we only know the pain that we know. That's it. And – you either confront it and you look in the mirror and you realize that you're not alone. And there are a lot of other people that that feel that way, or you don't, And if you don't, you stay alone and it just gets worse. And, and I learned that from these men and women and I ended up going, you know, before I really did anything else, I, I went into, you know, this maximum security prison, mostly men. I went to a woman's prison. I went to a juvenile prison, which is actually the scariest place is the juvenile prison. Um, oh, wow! And that's really where I learned to do it. And then over time, it's just a grassroots thing. You know, I, I did. I was able to begin to start speaking to veterans. I've been all over the country, police officers, first responders, just people, mental health professionals, churches. I've been up in your neck of the woods. I've done workshops at Willow Creek Community Church in South Barrington. Um, and it's just life. You know, I, I hate, you know, one, one thing I I like PTSD because you can say, you know, that's something I talk about and people know what it is. But I don't like it because before you have something like PTSD, you don't have it. You just you know, your person living your life. And I think a lot of things like that are just, we would be better off if we understood it's just part of life and, and, and anybody is vulnerable. Um, and that's kind of where I start with my talks. You know, when I give talks and I do workshops before I even get into the ladder up, a lot of it is telling stories, telling my story, telling other people's story for no other reason than than, than those in the audience understand you're not alone. Whatever it is you're dealing with, You're not alone. You're not the only one who's gone through that. And then I'll begin sort of what I call the the steps of the ladder up. Do do we have time in this segment to start going into that, or do we need to wait to the next segment? Uh,
1: We have a few moments. We have a few moments. Okay.
2: Um, Uh, Okay. I'll I'll sort of set it up. The the three steps in, in what I call the ladder up is I call it reveal, rebuild, and start the journey. And reveal is Life is like this onion and the longer you live, the, the more complicated the onion gets, you know, and if you've got children, you know that when you have those moments that you're like, okay, how do I put all this together? It's, it's everything. It's professionally. It's your husband. It's your kids. It's things that happened when you were a kid. It's your parents. It's things you can't control. It's things in your community. And, and a lot of times because of that, we, we, we can't ever allow ourselves to focus. And really get to the core of what is important to us and what do we want to do, which is why more people don't do what they're passionate about because they don't know how to get there. Right. And that's, what, and that's what we do in the reveal part, which I'll go into a little bit more of what I do. And then at the end of reveal, which a lot of it is questions with either a mentor or even yourself or in a small group where you're examining your life. When you get to the end of it, you really want to get to where you got a defined purpose. This is my purpose. So if I tell you my purpose is my family and God and and talking about this, you know that's who I am. Now I'm not you might not agree with me. I'm not always good at it, but that's my purpose. When I a per you know, to me a purpose isn't a purpose unless you get up in the morning and you order your day by that purpose. If you don't, it's not a purpose you don't have one. If you just get up and muddle through the day, that's all you're doing. A, a real purpose is 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 most days, you know, for sure over a week, for sure looking over the next month, you're able to go, this is my purpose. And how am I going to live my life the next month or whatever to make that happen? That's a purpose. And then once you I compare, love, oh, then, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. And then, and, and then the second part I call rebuild, which is the dirty secret of depression, and PTSD, which, again, you can't really say to someone right away, you got to build a little empathy, is you pretty much choose what you're going to do every day. You do. You know your life is your life is an accumulation of things that happen to you and then your choices that you make after that and, and 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 most people give control of their life to other things and and that might be a phone it might be facebook you know I don't have time with my kids well, how much time are you on facebook I don't have time with my husband well you, you, you know you, you what are you two doing when you could talking to each other you know the choices that we make in our life that that Get us where we are. And and even if you've only got 20 minutes in a day that are free, you still got time to make a choice. And so I like the image of a house. Um, right. That's that's I'm, that's not happy. Well, I'm but...
1: actually. I apologize again for for interjecting. Okay. It's interesting. And when we come back, we're going to dive a little bit into you know your reveal, your rebuild, and your starting the journey because I think that these tools are so important for people. And anybody who's listening to can always go to your website to learn more. And I will uh, speak to that again at, at the end of the show too. But do I have your website, Krissillowon dot com? Yep. It's dot com. Did I spell that right, Siloan?
2: Yep, that's correct.
1: Perfect. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Siloan's Ladder Up program and the steps you can take to really start living. We'll be right back.
3: There are over 147 million orphans and at-risk children in the world. It's a global problem, but you can make a huge difference. You can help from home or on-the-ground serving opportunities. Please visit Amybrado.com and click on the Echo Foundation tab to request more information. Our vision is to build a self-sustaining ecosystem of ideas, individuals, and organizations equipped to carry out the mission of hope for every orphan in the world. Help us with our goal of helping every child in need. Visit amybrado.com.
2: Are you looking for life's answers? How
0: about the meaning of true self?
2: Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions, some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment.
3: Have you considered expanding your family through adoption, but don't know where to start? Are you looking to get some answers and direction on how and where to start? Reach out to the community at the ECHO Foundation. The ECHO Foundation offers five distinct areas of support. For those children in need throughout the world, we are here to support you and guide you through your process and beyond. For more information, please visit amybrado.com and click on the ECHO Foundation. That's amybredo.com, and click the Echo Foundation.
0: You're listening to Raising the Bar with Amy Brado. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or questions about the show. The email address is amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. That's amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: And again, welcome back to Raising the Bar. We are speaking with Silon Green, and we're talking about his Ladder Up program, the steps that you can take to identify your brokenness and the steps you can take to really start living. And I love this, Silwan, because in thinking about it, I feel like I really want to investigate this for myself, to <laughs> know my purpose, but I just want to sharpen my iron a little bit, so um, please, please continue about um, these initial steps that you have people take in this program.
2: Okay, so the first I call reveal, and even if someone has a purpose, I think a lot of times it's still maybe a little fuzzy just because of the way life is, you know? And so once you've kind of got that down, then I go to what I call rebuild. And, and, and sort of the core of that is I see life like a house. You know, I love that image from the Bible. You know, you can build your house on sand. You can build it on a rock. And if you build it on a rock, it's more likely to stand. And, and, if, and, and, and I like to think of it. Think of somebody that you know in your life that you could go Job on them. You could go biblical. You could take everything right. from them, put them in the middle of the desert, And they would find a way to find some peace. Well, if you look at their life, it's kind of like a house. And the foundation of their house is their purpose. You know, if you say you're a Christian, for instance, it's not really your purpose unless you get up every day and you're motivated by it. If it's just something you say you believe, it ain't a purpose. It's just, it's no different than going, I'm a Republican or a Democrat. Are you, are you, are you driven by it? Does it, does it order your life? Look, that could be anything. It could be a parent. It could be a husband. It could be your hobbies, whatever it is. But somebody who's sort of built their life on that rock, the foundation, it's clear. There's no BS. It's real and it's actionable. Your purpose causes you to act in a certain way to fulfill it. And then the rooms of the house of that person that I'm describing, there's no rooms missing and there are no rooms that don't belong. You know, it's not really your priorities. It really is what you actually do from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. And nowadays, because it's so easy to be distracted, it's so easy everybody's in bed and you turn the computer on and you start surfing, looking at stuff and no one's around, you know, it's so easy during the day to look at your phone or be distracted. It's so easy to look at a cover of a magazine or look on TV and think we got to be a certain way to be distracted that we allow either things into our life that do not belong, or there are things that need to be in our life that aren't there and we know it. And that's what keeps our house from being strong. And see, the reason you got to go through reveal you really got to look at your life you got you got to be honest about yourself about where you've been and where you've come is because if you don't do that you won't be able to look in the mirror and be honest about what your life looks like right now. And usually you need someone else to help you do it. You right. need someone help, you need someone else to tell you, you you know you're focusing on the wrong things, you're caught up in the world, you're caught up in what people think. You're caught up, you know, you're not that good of a parent, you're not that good of a wife, you're not that good of a husband, you're not that good of a Christian. You need somebody they can spend the time with you to look you in the eye and be and, and, and tell you the truth and and see the person at peace is able to do it they're able to take it and then the roof of the house is humility um, I think the essence of faith is humility if, if if you don't go to a church if you don't have a faith that gets you down on your knees, something's wrong you right. know because because you can, there are very little in life you can control very little. You can't control other people. I mean, you know, this is a parent, you can't even control your own kids (laughs) life. You know, even when you get life figured out, bad things are going to happen. And if you're caught up kind of in a worldview that you can just control everything, you're going to be, you're going to get frustrated. You're going to get angry. You know, you're not going to be honest with yourself. It's okay to be down on your knees crying. It's okay to have the humility to go. I'm broke. I need help and and to reach out to people and see inevitably that's what makes you stronger because when, when you're in a community, when you have people that hold you accountable, when you have a small group, when you have a good relationship with a spouse, when you're able to tell your kids when you're wrong. And so because of that, they will talk to you and they will respect you and you will have a relationship with them. You're stronger you're not weaker. And, and it begins by that transparency, being able to look at your own house. What's my purpose? What's my foundation? You know, what am I doing every day? What am I spending my time doing? Okay, what am I doing when nobody's looking? And then finally, you know, being able to find somebody to, 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 to share that humility with. Then you can start to live. And then the last part of the ladder up, it, it's kind of hard to describe a lot of it, but, but, but in general, it's, it's, it's creating a plan a plan that somebody else is going to hold you accountable to. Um, and it can, you can have a lot of different ones going on. It can be, I want to get in shape. I want to be a better mom. I want my faith to grow. You can have three or four different journeys at once. Every one of them, you're going to need somebody to hold you accountable or it ain't going to work. You know, you're going to need to have someone to hold you accountable to working out. You're going to have someone to hold you accountable to be a good mom. You're going to need someone to hold you accountable to improving as a mother or a or wife or whatever it is. And it could be the same person. It could be different people. But at the end of the day, you, you really haven't reached that point of humility unless you're willing to have somebody hold you accountable to what we're doing. And in our world, that is usually where people fall short. You know, you you can realize you want to change your life. You can realize that you want to be broken. You can get a self-help book. You can see a video on TV. You can go to church and then where you stop is when you got to involve somebody to make sure that you're kind of doing what you say you're going to do. And and more than anything, I've designed the ladder up to be a tool where where whether it's two people or a small group or whatever, you can use it as a tool to kind of help each you – know, hold, hold each other accountable for what you say is important and where you're going. So um, that's kind of a summary of that all. Is there – in the time we have left, is there anything – i brought up that you, you got some questions about, you're intrigued with, you'd want me to go into before um, our time is up?
1: Yeah, you know, actually, I'm glad you asked that because I my question is, is, I love how you do talk about the accountability. And even in my own life, I have found where I would start and stop and start and stop. So when people are, you know, doing your Ladder Up program, do they do it in groups? Do they always come back to you? Are you training anybody that facilitates you know, this in a a group effort? How does it work?
2: Uh, It's it's self-explanatory. Typically, it's in small groups. I designed it not necessarily... Because I want a bunch of ladder up groups forming. I designed it because I want groups and people using it. You know that are that are already there. They could use other things. It's kind of a a foundational thing. Because once okay. you go once you go through the ladder up, you know ideally what happens in a small group. The ladder up is what you use to identify what everybody in that group needs, and then the group can talk about those individual things. And then periodically you update it. But that being said, I've got videos on YouTube. The, the, the workbook itself in a small group is self explanatory. Um, so you could, you could get a cop, copy of the workbook and start a group with your best friend. You could do, use it in church. Um, you know, the armies used it, the Marines have used it, Red Cross has used it, lots of different people. But it's really, I, I think, I I look at it as like a foundational tool. Because I think a lot of times what happens, groups in a lot of ways can almost get too myoptic. You know, they're too focused on one thing as opposed yeah. to looking at the needs of everybody. And there's all these specific groups, but where is there really like a life group? And, and the latter up more than anything is looking at life. Because You know, I might have PTSD, let's say, but really what I need help with is being a dad or really what I need help with is getting a job. So ideally, again, and this could be two people, it could be, you know, a parent with their kids, it could be a group at church. At the end result of the ladder up, when you get to the end of it, everybody in that group, it's very clearly defined. Here's my purpose. Here's my goals. Here's a short term goal. Here's a long term goal. Here's my plan to get there. And now we're all going to hold each other accountable. And as part of holding each other accountable, we can continue to meet. And maybe we've discovered, hey, one common theme we all have is financial problems. So now let's go through a financial workbook. Um, another, oh. you know, another common theme that we all have is trauma. So let's go through a workbook where we deal with our trauma, you know, more in depth. You know, another common theme that we all have is parenting. Well, let's just go where we go through a parenting book and we talk about parenting for, for a month. You know, the ladder up is not designed by itself to sort of like fix people. What it's designed is is to give people goals and direction and accountability and community. And then together, you begin to do all those things.
1: That is amazing. And I love that it's a foundational piece in that you can branch off into the areas that your group you know, needs to, ad- needs to address. And, and again, I love that you make it um, so user friendly for, yeah. you know, all walks of life and education to where everyone just gets to the heart of themselves in order to change, grow and progress and move forward, you know, from wherever depth they're at, you know, um, what are some, so everybody can find this information on your website, correct?
2: Yeah, they go is is the it
1: website. a downloadable PDF or how does it work?
2: Uh, the workbook is because I like physically writing. I mean, um, there's been a lot of studies lately that, especially when it comes to things like depression, one of the most effective things to do is write. <laughs> so I, I'm, I've resisted allowing somebody to not write. So the, the, it's a workbook and there's a lot of writing, like literally getting out something to write with and writing it down on a piece of paper. Cause there's just something therapeutic about it. Um, But you can get that through my website at Silouan.com or you can get off Amazon, um, you know, Barnes and Nobles dot com, whatever. And, you know, and I want to say something, too, before we're done, because I I, I, sometimes I like to be sort of a cold water splashed in people's faces. I love that. I love that. We don't talk about this. Our communities are broken. People are lonely. They have one or two close friends. You know, we got to reach out to each other and we got to create. Community, because without it, nothing's going to work. You know, an, an example of that is PTSD and veterans. And I'll say something that'll make people mad. The reason the problem of, of of that gets worse, the reason that suicide gets worse and doesn't get better, it has nothing to do with the military or the VA or whoever. They get more and more money every year. They get more and more light shed on them. They get more and more programs. The reason that stuff is worse is because of us. We it is our fault because we don't help people come home. We don't have communities. We get divorced, we move across the country, we don't live by our parents. You know, one thing I always do in my classes, I'll tell people, I go, who works where you grew up, like where you were in kindergarten? And as you can imagine, unless I'm in some rural small town, you know, if I'm in Chicago, maybe two people out of a hundred will raise their hand. And I'll say, and I'll go, you know what that means? Nobody knows you, nobody. Because so much of who we are and that we still struggle with happened when we were little kids, when we were in high school, when we were in college, you know, the death of a parent when we were 16 or whatever. If the people around you don't, don't know that about you, they don't know you. They don't, they don't know that look on your face. And, and because of that, we all fall through the cracks. You know, 50 years ago, if you went to your small towns cafe and you saw a kid in there with a 10,000 yard stare on his face because his best friend had been blown up in World War II, you'd know it because you probably went to school with him. You probably knew the kid, you know, you you know him. And so you might see that look on his face and walk over to him and go, hey, how you doing? Hey, can I sit down and buy you a cup of coffee? Go to a Starbucks in Chicago. I guarantee you can't pick out who's the young man who grew, who's never left Chicago, and who's the young man that his best friend got a bullet in his head in Iraq. You will know. And we don't talk to each other. And we don't have community with each other. And if you don't, none of this will work. You, you can throw money at it. You, you, you can do programs. Churches can do all kinds of stuff. But if we don't have community, if you don't have people around you that, that are able to get to really know who you are and what you're about and what drives you, we're just going to get more and more and more lonely and alone and broken. Um, I wish churches understood this better. Churches should be more focused on small than big. Big is thin. It's impersonal. People don't know each other. Now, you can be big and be small, but the most important part is, is somebody walking in that church, are there five or six people there that they're going to see and know on a regular basis and get to know in a deep way? You know, that is the most important thing. And, and what I try to do with the ladder up more than anything in my talks is to encourage people. Like one thing I'll say, and, and I'll sort of, we'll probably be close to the end of time when I do it. I always tell people, as you've heard me talk, I know you've thought of somebody. If you haven't thought of yourself, you thought of a friend, you've thought of uh, a, a, a family member. You thought of a child, you thought of an acquaintance, you thought of somebody that you're like, you know, I'd like to reach out to them. And my challenge to you is. When, when the show's over and, and, you, and you get offline or you hang up or whatever, you're, however you're listening, reach out to them. And not to be their therapist and not to be their self-help guru. Take them to coffee. Leave your right. phone at home. You know, interact with them. Be present. We don't do that anymore. And if we don't, no matter what your political persuasion, no matter what your faith, no, no, no matter how much money you give to things, this stuff won't get better. It's our fault. So what are we as individuals going to do about it to reach out to other people?
1: That is, I love the challenge of that statement. And I um, personally, it doesn't make me angry. I I completely agree with you. And I was thinking of, of what you were saying, you know, I moved around a lot as a kid. And, you know, now I've been in this small town for many years since 98 and a lot of people have seen our family change and everything but even in that even in this small town i wonder who who will come back who will stay right. and where will everybody go and and um i just you know it's hugely important and so and I, and I think also we can make community even with those people that are important to us that maybe have moved away if you can't have coffee you can pick up the phone we live in such a land of of oh, 100%. And computers and distractions. So I, yep. I really love the, the challenge of that statement. And for any of you that are listening, please go to com and uh, check out everything that there is on there, you know, all the information. That Ladder Up program can be implemented in all of our lives. And I just want to thank you so much for taking the time, especially after you've been traveling all week, for speaking with us today. I can't believe how quiet it is where you are <laughs> with all your kids <laughs> home getting homeschooled. Um, please give my gratitude, uh, heartfelt gratitude to your wife as well, as I'm sure you have a lot of catching up to do. Is there anything you'd like to share um, as we wrap up today, any events that are coming up or any last little nuggets that you'd like to give um Again, if you'd like to repeat your website and um yeah, the spelling
2: I, I, of it for I would, our listeners. I would just say go to my website, silon.com. I got videos, I got a blog, I got tons of stuff I write on. You could you could spend a lot of time there reading, finding out, you know, where am I gonna be, where am I gonna be talking. And I wanna end by encouraging you, Amy. It's important that more people do what you're doing with your program. Uh-huh. So I, I know it's new, so even when it gets hard, keep plugging away, keep doing it.
1: Oh, thank you. You had to get, bring me to tears today more than once, right? Well, <laughs> you've been listening to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo and my treasured guest, Siloan Green. Please go to com. Check out everything that he's all about. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. And until next time, we hope you are well and we will talk to you soon. Thanks,
0: Silwan. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Raising the Bar. Please listen for another edition with your host, Amy Bredo, next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, get out there and keep raising the bar.